0: Hello, and welcome back to the Land and Climate podcast. My name is Alistair McEwen, and in this episode, I spoke to Rachel Rose Jackson, Director of Climate Research and Policy at the campaign group Corporate Accountability, on the organisation's recent research with the Guardian newspaper into carbon offsetting, where it found that the vast majority of carbon offset projects had fundamental failings, meaning that they could not be relied on to cut global emissions.
1: When you look at sort of the main task forces or bodies who are the main proponents of the voluntary carbon market, you don't have to look very deep in order to find ties to the fossil fuel industry. In some cases, executives from fossil fuel industries have even overseen some of these boards that have been pushing the voluntary carbon market out into the world, like the task force to scale up the voluntary carbon market or some, you know, the TSBCM.
0: I started by asking Rachel Rose to explain her recent research and findings.
1: Our research is building on that done by others. So over over previous years, I think academics, researchers, scientists alike have really started to investigate this idea, this thesis that carbon offsets are uh, the saving grace of the climate crisis. And that research has been quite concerning in its initial findings, showing, you know, major weaknesses in forest offsets projects, showing the use of particularly of by polluting corporations such as fossil fuel corporations to purchase junk offsets, to be seen to be greenwashing their image and taking action. And so we were quite interested, you know, as a public interest organization in wanting to understand a little bit more how deep and how vast this uh, contagion of junk within in the carbon offsets market was, particularly because not all, but much of the research that has come out so far has been very rigorous and very robust, but has largely been focused on things like forest offsets projects. And we were also involved in research earlier this year that looked into Chevron's carbon offsets projects, and we found that more than 90% of the offsets that it's purchasing are junk. We really wanted to understand Is it more than just a few bad apples like fossil fuel corporations that you would expect almost, you know, to be involved in junk climate action and more than just a particular kind of project that is contributing to this contagion of junk? And so that's sort of what inspired this research. And so our research team looked into and partnered with The Guardian and looked into the top 50 uh, voluntary carbon market offsets projects. And by top 50, I mean, these are the projects that have sold the most carbon credits since project inception. You know, I think it's somewhere around 325 million offsets credits have been purchased from these projects. On one hand, 50 might not seem like a lot of projects. On the other hand, the volume of offsets that they've sold equates to one third of the entire carbon offsets market. So they're a pretty broad sample of what this supposed saving grace of the climate crisis is, the voluntary carbon market. And there's a whole variety of types of projects that make up those 50. There are forest projects, but there's also uh, large hydro dams supposedly community- led projects, nuclear projects, other projects um, et cetera. So we felt that looking at this 50 in peeling back the layers to determine how rigorous they were or weren't uh, would be a really good way to understand how broad or how deep this contagion of junk was was in the voluntary carbon market. And what we found was really, very concerning that um, essentially a total of 39 of the top 50 projects, or 78% of them were um, likely junk or worthless due to having a minimum of one or more fundamental failings that essentially means they can't guarantee to lead to the emissions reductions that they're promising. Eight more, in addition to that, looked pretty problematic um, with evidence suggesting that they might have at least one fundamental failing and therefore are potentially junk and really, that left only three projects. And even of those three, it wasn't that we could, we found evidence to suggest that they did lead to the emissions reductions promised. It was only that we couldn't find enough evidence to make a fair judgment of whether they were junk or whether they weren't. So, really, out of all of these 50 projects, not a single one of them based on the evidence we found, could be guaranteed to lead to the emissions reductions that they were promising. So this kind of points to a much broader contagion of junk credits being used on a global level by a variety of actors who want to be seen to be taking climate action, but are actually evading the need to take real emissions reducing activities here and now.
0: Does that mean to you then that carbon markets are Therefore, worthless?
1: If we want to be objective about this, we need to look at the evidence, right? And so far, the evidence overwhelmingly points to the fact that carbon markets are not working on a global scale to reduce emissions. We also need to put it in the context that we're all living in, which is an intensifying climate crisis that, you know, this year is the hottest year in human history. There have been dozens of climate-related disasters impacting billions of lives around the world, causing trillions of dollars in economic damage. And just a couple of weeks ago, we learned that fossil fuel emissions are also reaching a record high and aren't actually decreasing at all. So I think in this moment where the climate crisis is very real for millions of people around the world and is a matter of life or death, not something that's happening future generations down the line. The question that we really need to be asking ourselves is, do we have time to waste tinkering with a scheme that has so far largely failed and only led to increased emissions and delayed action when we have all of these other solutions at the ready that do work, that only need the time, attention, resources and political will to realise them at scale?
0: Are you saying therefore that offsetting is at the current time not helpful
1: well, what I think is certainly fair to say is that for any form of offsetting to be meaningful, it would need to meet the need to be able to guarantee to meet the following criteria. Number one, it needs to lead to new and additional emissions reductions, so not just counting emissions reductions that have already happened and selling credits for them because we need new action. we need to be reducing emissions right now and additionally. Secondly, the offsets would need to be guaranteed to not lead to be permanent and not lead to leakage or just shift emissions from one place away to somewhere else because again, that doesn't lead to actual emissions reductions and they also need to be guaranteed not to cause harm. I mean, when you are taking away land from communities who have lived on and stewarded land that piece of land for centuries to grow trees, to claim offsets that, by the way, are often then cut down and burnt for energy. The system is broken in many places. So it's not that um, it's not that it's not possible for action to be taken that would reduce emissions it's that the current voluntary carbon market is increasingly being shown to be fundamentally flawed beyond a way that it can be fixed it would need to be built anew and as it is built anew it would need to be built with the objective of reducing emissions rapidly and equitably at the you know at the heart not the objective of profiteering off the climate crisis or continuing to pollute while being seen to do something. The evidence is increasingly showing we have this fundamentally flawed system that needs to be completely reimagined with the right objective at the core if it really is going to contribute to solving rather than exacerbating the climate crisis.
0: And what has the reaction been to your findings? I know that there have been quite a number of reports. I think there was the report about the VERA uh, credits early in the year.
1: Just about anyone who is independent, meaning not tied to the fossil fuel industry or the voluntary carbon market, Anyone who is representing or from the public interest has been widely receptive of and appreciative of this work that sort of just confirms what from experience they already know. In addition, we had multiple experts in the field who reviewed this research, found the methodology to be extremely rigorous, the findings seem very solid. And again, they build off of and very much align with the research that others have done. Those who have critiqued it, have largely been those who have conflicts of interest, who have a financial, contractual, employment-related reason to need to have the voluntary carbon market be seen as legitimate, um, who have something to lose, namely profit from its real worth being exposed. Uh, And so I think that even just that is quite telling in and of itself, both of the value of the research and also the reality of of its findings and implications thereof.
0: For me, it brings on a question around who is making the money from from offsets. And and maybe you could answer a little bit about that in terms of what the reaction has been.
1: It's the same actors that stand to profit off of the voluntary carbon market as actors who are profiting off of the climate crisis. And that includes fossil fuel corporations who are able to use a fundamentally flawed system to mask their ramping up rather than winding down of fossil fuels and expansion and profit uh, grotesquely off of that. It's the same financiers who fund the fossil fuel industry billions upon billions of dollars every year, who, again, stand to benefit from maintaining that system and status quo and business more than usual rather than business as usual. And when you look at sort of the main task forces or bodies who are the main proponents of the voluntary carbon market, you don't have to look very deep in order to find ties to the fossil fuel industry. In some cases, executives from fossil fuel industries have even overseen some of these boards that have been pushing the voluntary carbon market out into the world, like the task force to scale up the voluntary carbon market or some, you know, the TSVCM, these task force, these initiatives, if you look behind the glossy branding and behind the beautiful sounding mission on their homepage, you find it's polluted. You know, it's infested with polluters who are trying to continue status quo, who have a financial contractual obligation to their shareholders to continue to profit off of selling a polluting product. This whole system, for that very reason, is kind of rotten at its core. And all that this research really does is is just further illustrate what makes sense, right, if you think about the reality.
0: And would you be able to give us one or two examples of actual projects which which you looked at so that we can kind of almost see on the ground what's what's happening or which country maybe which project and you know who might have been funding it etc and who was invested in it.
1: I do encourage listeners to actually look up um, the investigation. It's, it's called Revealed Top Carbon Offsets Projects May Not Cut Planet Heating Emissions. There's a lot of helpful information there, but there's also maps where you can see where these projects are, where they're based, and it really helps drive home, you know, the reality of what we're talking about now. But to give you a couple of examples so you can sort of get an idea of what we're talking about, in terms of where these top 50 carbon offsets projects are, you know, that we found Projects in the U.S., Colombia, Brazil, South Africa, Kenya, India, Indonesia. uh, But also importantly, most of them are based in the global south. And this is important because it just further exacerbates the deep injustice of the climate crisis, that these same countries and communities that have done truly almost nothing to cause the climate crisis to contribute to global emissions yet are the first and the worst to endure its impacts are the same countries who are then being shouldered with this additional burden of taking supposedly emissions reduction activities while Global North countries and corporations continue to pollute, thus locking in additional climate impacts for these very same communities. But a couple of these projects, just to give you a few examples, one of my favorites, as in the worst, one of the worst, is based in Wyoming. It's the world's largest carbon capture and storage plant in in Wyoming. It also has been the recipient of extensive taxpayer subsidies, and the vast majority of the carbon dioxide that has been captured by this carbon capture and storage plant has actually been re-released into the atmosphere or sold to fossil fuel companies to help extract more oil in difficult-to-reach places. So for someone who wants to tell me that these projects have meaning, that's kind of always the one where I'm like, please tell me what part of this was meaningful climate action in, in your perspective. There were some large hydro dams in India, and those are quite important as well to look at more closely because they actually don't lead to any new emissions reductions. And so if you are selling an offset credit, the implication is that you're contributing to an additional emissions reducing activity, but there's no additionality in the case of large hydro dams. They're already there. They already existed. They weren't built for carbon reducing activities or or intent. And so whatever emissions reductions they do lead to already happened. They're not new emissions reductions that are being contributed to. In addition to that, there are vast complaints by communities living next to these large harder power dams of vast harm, violence associated with these projects. So it's just kind of compounded harm upon compounded harm. There's also a large forest conservation project in Zimbabwe. We found very convincing evidence that its claims of climate benefits were extremely exaggerated and also probably just led to emissions being released or shifted elsewhere. In fact, it was described by somebody else as having more financial holes than Swiss cheese. So again, these are some of the biggest projects on the voluntary carbon market that are that are being utilized the most by polluting actors and countries to claim supposed climate action. And these are not the exception. These projects, you know, 39 out of 50 of these projects had major loopholes like this. So to think that then this is forming the bedrock of climate action around the world in a time where we are completely out of time, where we don't have time to waste and where the urgency really couldn't be greater is pretty extreme form of negligence, in my opinion.
0: And what case is there for continuing, you know, there may have been a few that were projects that were actually genuinely functioning and creating genuine offsets.
1: I mean, I can only speak to the 50 projects that we analyzed, and in those 50, we didn't find a single project that had strong evidence that would suggest they were the gold standard. So that's not to say that there is not a way that an offset could work. We have to speak for what the evidence shows us, and the evidence is very clearly showing increasingly that the existing voluntary carbon market is not A promoter of actually reducing emissions at source in ways that are new, additional, permanent, non leaking. Those need to become the benchmarks for any emissions reducing project or activity, be it offset or otherwise moving forward. Not to mention, you know, any climate action activity should not cause harm on local communities or ecosystems in the process as well. So there really needs to be a fundamental rethink of. What are the principles that we hold closely when world governments are setting out to dictate the global response to climate change? And when we look at this research, which, again, supports the research done by others, those principles should not be profiteering, enabling and evading responsibility, harming communities and ecosystems and not working. So we need a global response to climate change that has urgency, science, equity, uh, real emissions reductions to get us to real zero emissions at its core.
0: And talking of the global response, I mean, you've just been at the global climate talks or the COP. There were developments there on, on offsetting? I mean, was there any reaction to your research and other people's research on this?
1: There are actually direct links here that are worth unpacking. I guess maybe two big ones. So it's probably impossible if you to not have seen the headlines about uh, the deal that was brokered in Dubai, if you follow climate and climate change in any way. And, you know, the world is being led to believe that essentially we're all saved, that COP28 or the UN climate talks have delivered a deal to phase out fossil fuels. This is... Very far from the reality of the situation. When you look at the entire document that was the official outcome of COP, while on one hand it did for the first time ever acknowledge that there is a need to start transitioning away from fossil fuels, an output, by the way, that is extremely outdated. That should have been done in 1992 when the UN climate talks were established. You do, on the one hand, have this first ever formal recognition of the real problem of climate change, which is fossil fuel emissions. But the rest of the text, the rest of the outcome is actually riddled with these loopholes, uh, these contradictions, these dangerous distractions that don't add up to phasing out fossil fuels. And one of those loopholes and dangerous distractions is that countries in this outcome have committed to scale up things like carbon capture and storage and offsetting so again a complete contradiction you can't phase out fossil fuels without providing the you know who what when where why And you can't phase out fossil fuels. What you're actually doing in the fine print of the text is scaling up the very technologies and schemes that all the evidence shows are just continuing to promote uh, the further production of fossil fuels. So that's one way that we really saw this area of contention play out at COP28. A slightly more positive one, I guess. (laughs) We always have to find the positive, the lining in the silver, in the cloud. Negotiations on a part of the Paris Agreement called Article 6, a big part of which is about market approaches or carbon markets and therefore offsets completely hit a standstill. Governments were not able to agree on rules to further operationalize effectively the global carbon market. And this, I think, is in part related to the growing body of research that's coming out to prove their junk and their worthlessness. So the fact that the agreement on further institutionalizing collaboration around carbon markets in this, you know, technical part of the agenda card, Article 6, I think is a reflection of the reality that the evidence is becoming overwhelming that this scheme is not working. People on the planet deserve and are owed something that that actually works. And that's not the current voluntary carbon market.
0: Was there a reaction in terms of um, ESG portfolios or environmental portfolios in, in a financial sense, where as a result of your research, certain projects might have been ejected or loss of of financing or funding into these projects? Has there a kind of been a kind of financial sector response?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And COP would probably not be the exact place where we would see that play out. I think over the coming months. As we close a year where there's been a series of very damning and revealing investigations about the reality of the carbon. Market, it will be interesting to see what happens as we head, particularly into the first quarter of next year, as, you know, corporations and financiers and governments set themselves up for the next financial year. It will be interesting to see sort of what patterns we notice or what shifts. So it's definitely something we will be keeping an eye on. I think this outcome on one hand around Article 6 at COP is An indicator that there are some holes being poked for sure. And hopefully 2024 can be the year where world governments finally truly get serious about doing their fair share of climate action, about taking the action we need to reduce emissions to real zero um, and rapidly scaling up real solutions, which are proven and at the ready, not dangerous distractions or particularly <laughs> like junk offsets and a seriously flawed carbon market system.
0: But from the actual junk offsetters themselves, there's been no change. I, a lot of these projects are still running.
1: We have noticed some changes. There have been a couple of projects, which you, you might have seen in the news, that have been paused or being shut down or are being investigated. And of course, this is definitely not only attributed to our research, but again, this whole body of evidence that's coming out. And so it is promising to start to see the writing on the wall in this case that the evidence is becoming too loud to ignore, essentially. And one thing we keep asking, you know, time and time again to any actor entity who challenges us or our results is, We are very open to being wrong you know we're researchers our job is to take the evidence put it in a methodology put it through a process and see what the evidence shows us if you can show us irrefutable evidence that your project guaranteed leads to the emissions reductions that you're promising and that those emissions reductions are new additional don't leak aren't being shifted then great, like, please show us, you know? And we ask that question time and time again. Not once have we been given any solid evidence in return to prove that they are. And and even in and of itself, I think that's extremely telling. One thing that I feel is really important is that there is another way. And sometimes I think there can be this falsely created sense of desperation that the climate crisis is getting worse and worse We need to act now. And there can be a belief because of the way that the voluntary carbon market is so broadly promoted that this is our only way out. This is our only way through. And that even if it's not perfect, it's all we have. Or, you know, even if we don't know if these technologies work, we have to try because we don't have anything else. And I think it's really important that we all know that's actually not true, that there is a whole portfolio of real proven cost-effective solutions that will lead to emissions reductions at source beginning tomorrow. These are things like actually transitioning to 100% community-controlled renewable energy, providing uh, free transport in public sectors, giving land back to the same indigenous peoples and local communities who stewarded it for centuries and know how to truly restore it, transitioning towards agroecology systems instead of of very emissions-intensive industrial agriculture. There are so many things that we can do that we know will work, and they're affordable. And not only that, they make the world a better place while doing it, not only while solving the climate crisis. And the only thing we lack is for the largest world governments, who are also the greatest contributors to climate change to stop buddying with the fossil fuel industry and instead hold that industry accountable and to get serious about shifting their their subsidies away from the polluting system into this new system. We only lack the political will. Everything else is there. It's both really maddening because it doesn't have to be that way, but also really hopeful that we are on the cusp of finally breaking through, delivering what we need to get emissions to real zero, to make the world a better place while doing it and while saving millions of lives that don't need to be lost. But getting there does require finally rejecting the broken system, the faulty schemes that are not working and holding big polluters accountable instead of enabling them to continue to fuel you know, the climate crisis.
0: Thanks to Rachel Rose Jackson for her time. As usual, you can find recommendations and links for further reading on this subject in our podcast blurb, including further details of most recent offset research, which was mentioned in this episode. That's the final podcast of the year from us. My colleague Bertie Harrison-Berninski will be back with another interview to start the new year. Thanks also to Vasco Kustofsky for producing the episode. Thanks for listening, and we wish you a very happy Christmas and new year.